Welcome to the City Podcast, a ministry of Ambassadors Church in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website at wearethecity.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you are blessed by today's word. Amen. Come on, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going today. Ephesians in your New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. So it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians. Ephesians chapter, what did I tell you? One? Four. That's right. Verses one through seven. You guys passed. All right. Verses one through seven. My version says it this way. And, and, and really lean in. This is a powerful passage. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner, no, sorry, wrong chapter, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I want to compare that first phrase. It says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And then verse 7 says, grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Those two phrases, to walk in a manner worthy and grace has been given, actually go together. You can't have one without the other. So this morning, the title of my message is Walk Worthy. Someone say walk worthy. Walk worthy. worthy. Tell your neighbor walk worthy. Walk worthy. The word of the Lord. Let's pray this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross of Christ that is void of a body, the grave that is empty, our hearts that are filled with the Spirit of God. And we pray that this morning would be a life-giving morning in every sense of the term, O God, that we would rise this morning grateful that we don't have to be here. We get to be here because Jesus Christ has made a way for us to be in the presence of our Father. Help us, O God, to lean in to what your Word wants to tell us this morning that we'd be stretched and changed, O Lord, and that we would walk worthy of the calling and empowered by the grace of Jesus. We love you, and we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and everybody said amen. Amen. Walk worthy. Walk worthy of the calling. It's allergy season, y'all. Come on, how many of you guys suffer from seasonal allergies? It's the most awful time of the year. Not to be negative, but if you had allergies, you would agree, concur, uh, that allergy season is the worst season. What's crazy is that there's something about America that gets people allergic. I mean, I have literally seen people born and raised in Cape Verde who come to America and become allergic to dust. And I'm like, you were fine there. What is it about American dust? Brazilians raised next door to the Amazon rainforest come to America all of a sudden allergic to pollen. Born and raised in the rainforest, in the Amazons. 
And then you, you come here all of a sudden, it's just crazy. I mean, and I'm allergic to apples. That may be news to, to some of you guys. And I, and I was born in Brazil, and I swear I was fed apples as a child. Was I not? Apples, every day of the week, right? Come to America, allergic to apples. I'm like, what is going on? There is just something about, like, I am on a mission to get to the end of it, like, to the bottom of this. Like, what is it about the dust here? What is it about the pollen here? And the fruit? Like, I can't eat more than two strawberries before I start feeling some kind of way, right? Kiwi, forget it. I'll land in the hospital. Like, there's just something about the fruit here. Citrus is safe. Oranges, tangerines, clementines. Those things don't do any da- Bananas, right? Bananas aren't citrus, but bananas do no damage. What is it? Mangoes. Mangoes every day of the week. Mango juice, mango ice cream, mango fruit, mango, mango rice. Like, I'm mango everything. <laughs> Cut up the mangoes and put it in. I'm all for it. Mango yogurt. There's nothing like a good mango. Like, and, and you can't just, you don't slice mangoes. You suck mangoes. Right? You don't eat mangoes before you're going out for a party. You do it on a night that you're staying home, that you can look all kinds of rough, and you just, you just peel it and suck it away, right? Just mangoes are where it's at. Till you get down to the bare seed, you just gotta, you just gotta keep going, right? Persevere. And so there's just something about allergies, right? So I was probably nine. Some of y'all know this story. We were at a, a, a church family's house. You know, that's just what pastor's kids do. We just go to everybody's house, eat meal here, coffee there, cake there, couscous there. You just, you just get every part of the meal at somebody else's home. So th- this family had kids. And so the kids decided to make apple cider that night while the, the parents were in the living room hanging out. We were in the kitchen with the kids, and we were going to make apple cider. They start peeling up the apples. I start feeling like a little itch in the corner of my eye, right? I'm like, whatever. It's probably just the dust, right? And, uh, and uh, American dust. And so we just keep peeling. And, you know, then you start rubbing your eye. And, and, I, and I'm getting now, the, you know, the nice juices in my eyes. And, and, uh, and I'm like, this is not feeling right. But I just kept on peeling. Like, we, we got the, the grater out. And we're grating the, the, like, we were committed to, to this. We weren't, like, just pouring apple cider. We were making apple cider. Right. And so all of a sudden I am feeling not myself and I was looking not myself like the kids looking at me like, oh, my goodness, this kid's like a monster. I literally morphed into this horrifying, horrifying. Right. I walk into the living room and look at my mom and the look on her face like, what have you done to my child? Kind of look like my eyes are already large. They were like. Pop, literally, like, looking like they were going to fall out of my face. Like, I couldn't b- breathe. Like, my, my airway was clogging up. And I'm like, what is, this was my first experience with American apples, apparently. Like, what is going on? This was about 97, 6, around there. And uh, we literally had to go, did we go to the hospital? We went to the doctor. Yeah, K-Verdians don't go to the hospital right away. You got to do what you got to do first. And then if things don't get better by tomorrow, then we go see the professionals, right? We're going to pull out that little bottle in the top of the medicine cabinet and try this thing first. But, but whatever. Could have died, but didn't. Um, so, but let's, yeah, she's a nurse. I get it. But we, Benadryl, I understand. I'm not, I'm not medical. So if, if it were my kid, I would have been like, hospital, that's just where, that's where we're going. I don't know if you're dying. Like, we got we to gotta go get this checked out. Now imagine, I look, I'm over here looking like Frankenstein, like, like literally horrible. 
And imagine, let's, we didn't go to the hospital. Let's picture we went to the hospital, right? I'm looking all kinds of weird. Eyes are popping out, can't breathe. Keith is just like, breathe deep, you'll be fine. <laughs> but but let's, let's, let's picture we go there, right? And we sit down, we go through the whole bit. Because, you know, hospital is never like a quick visit. You got to be committed, right? Like, you got to really be feeling bad because you got to wait and sit in the waiting room with all the people with other masks on and stuff. And so you, you end up getting a, a, a bed and, and, uh, and the nurses check your vitals, right? And you're over there still looking like you're, you're about to die, feeling like you're about to die. And then the doctor comes in and, and, and says, it appears that you're allergic to apples. Uh, just stay away from apples. We're going we're gonna to discharge you. Hold on. You went to medical school to tell me to stay away from apples? My mom could say that. Like, well, she went to nursing school. Like, you could say, I could have, like, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to come. Just stay away? I've already, I've already gotten hurt by this thing. Like, don't you see that my eyes are react? Don't you see that I am dying? Like, can you not give me something? Like, I don't care what, give me a fake pill. Just give it to me so that I can at least feel like you did something, right? Did you know sometimes there's those like, what do they call it, placebos? You're, you're taking, it doesn't, even, it doesn't even do anything, but all of a sudden psychologically you're better. But give me anything, give me a Tic Tac, I'll feel better, right? <laughs> but this thing is happening, right? And, and the doctor just says, okay, it appears that you have an issue, just stay away from apples. That probably wouldn't be what happens. Because a cure will always precede further instructions. You're not just going to say to the person, oh, it appears that you have an issue. Just stay away. Because the person's already been damaged by what they were affected by, in this case being the apple. But... A, a true doctor, a, a, a person who has a cure, a physician, somebody who knows what they're doing would say, okay, it appears that you have an allergy. You're allergic to apples. I'm going to give you this to take care of the symptoms. I'm going to give you this to cure you right now. And moving forward, it might be wise of you to stay away from apples in the future because you know that this is an issue for you. Have you ever met somebody with a peanut allergy? Oh my goodness, like peanut allergies are severe allergies. Like, I don't know if anybody in here is allergic to peanuts, but God bless you and God keep you and preserve your life because it is, it's absolutely crazy what happens to a person who has a peanut allergy. But, but you know, a cure will always precede further instructions. A, a true doctor is not just gonna say, stay away from apples, stay away from peanuts. They're gonna say, let me treat the issue. And then from here on out, because you know that this does that apples do this to you, because you know that peanuts do this to you, you can now have the knowledge, you're cured in the moment, so you can stay away from it in the future, because your knowledge now, the, the, the cure that I'm giving you, will now determine your behavior for the future. Behavior is not gonna precede a cure, behavior is gonna proceed the cure, because once the doctor is able to make you whole, he can then give you instructions for the next step, and so this is exactly what's happening in John chapter eight, when the Pharisees catch the woman in the act of adultery, right? They 
literally caught her in bed with a man that was not her husband. And so they, they bring her before Jesus and they say, Jesus, we just caught this woman in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says that we should kill her. What do you say we should do? And they're trying to trap Jesus, but Jesus can never be trapped. Come on, that's a whole sermon on its own. And so uh, they, they say, Jesus, we should, we should definitely stone her. And then Jesus bends down, writes in the ground, and then he, he stands back up and says to the Pharisees who are so holy and self-righteous and all religiously put together, and they say, he says to them, any of you who have no sin, yeah. go ahead and stone her. Yeah. Anybody who's never sinned, yeah. go ahead and stone her. Here's the spoiler. We've all sinned. And so all these Pharisees start walking away, oldest first to the youngest, and everybody's gone. And then Jesus goes back down to this woman who should have been killed. And, and he says to her, where are your accusers? And the woman says, they're gone, sir. And, and then he says, neither will I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, the instruction always comes after liberation. Instruction always comes after the cure. You know, if they had brought the woman caught in the act of adultery, to me, I would be like, just stay out of bed with a guy that's not your husband. That's not grace, that's law. The law says, don't do it. The law says, you should know better. The law says, you need to live up to a higher standard. You better get your act together. That's how some of us feel like when we need to come to church. We better get our act together before we come. But that stands contrary to everything Jesus is teaching us in this moment because they caught this woman literally in the act of sin. And yet he was able to fend off her condemners, bows, leans downward to where she was and says, where are those who condemned you? They're already gone, so I'm not going to condemn you either because technically Jesus was the only one on this scene that was worthy of stoning her. He could have literally said, okay, they're all gone. I will now take matters into my own hands and kill you because you are a sinner and I am holy. Jesus has the right to kill us, but love and grace is what informs his decision to let her go free, not free to go, go back to her old behavior, but now that you've been set free, go and sin no more. You see, grace will always precede a decision to do better next time because grace does not give us permission to sin. Grace trains us to live a righteous and a holy life. You have not been set free to go back to your former person. You have been set free to be a new creation in Christ. It says, if anyone is in Christ... He or she is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. You see, the law says live up to the gospel. Grace says live out the gospel. Religion says live up to the gospel. Jesus says live out the gospel. You, you, you see, that changes everything. It's the same thing as a doctor saying, look, you're allergic, just stay away. But I've already been contaminated, God. I've already, I've already been affected. And Jesus does not say, stay away from sin. You better get it together and not do it again. Are you stupid or something? That's what the enemy does. You see, the enemy condemns like that. Are you, are you stupid? Do you, you're worthless. Don't you, are you dumb or something? That's condemnation. You see, those are the voices that are not of God. When we have sinned, that voice tells us that we are worthless. 
You see, Jesus had the right to make this woman feel worse. And he could have condemned her, condemned her in her present state. But yet, grace informed his decision to not condemn her, but to convict her. Because there is always a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation keeps you down. Conviction changes you and brings you back up. And that's what Jesus does every single time. You see, religion will condemn. Jesus will convict and set you free. Grace precedes instruction. You don't need to get your act together. None of us have our act together. Scripture said, and that's not Shane's opinion, that's Scripture's opinion. There is no one good, not even one. So the next time we think we have our act together... Flip over to that nice little beautiful, cute little passage in the scripture that says, there is no one good. Go to Romans 3.23 that says, all have sinned. Go to the one that says that there is no one that is righteous. That our most holy acts are still like filthy rags before a holy God. When we start feeling like the Pharisees, Did you see what she just did? It says more about you than it says about the one you're condemning. Because those that condemn already stand condemned. Those that judge are being judged themselves. Those that look at the speck in other people's eyes are ignoring the plank in their own eyes. These are the words of Christ. If you're offended, take it up with him. But there is no one who is good, but the law will say, live up to the gospel. What that becomes in church culture is don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. You better not even think of going there. You better not even talk to those people. You better not walk down that street and talk to her. You better not go there. You better not do that. You better not dress that way. You better not drink that. You better not put that on your body. You better not say this. You better not say that. And that is law. And laws are good if they proceed grace. Because when you have experienced the saving grace of Jesus, a grace that sets you free, the desires of the world are no longer what you desire. Rather, you desire to do and to fulfill the will of God for your life. So it doesn't doesn't become a matter of, I'm not going to do that so that I can keep myself in check. But rather, I have been saved from that. I've been saved from it, so why would I go back to it? You see, those who have been saved by grace, going back is not an option. Because when you have understood this thing that we call amazing grace, the appeal of the world becomes distasteful. It becomes disgusting. It becomes repulsive. Do you have a word for 953? No, I think it's good. It becomes this thing that... It no longer satisfies. It's like when you thought something was good, like your recipe was good until someone made it better. It's like, I thought that was good until I experienced something way more satisfying. It's like those, have you ever noticed, there's like always like Chinese places like next to each other. Or like in the same street. Or in the same, and, and fast food places, if you find one, you're going to find five. Now Chick-fil-A is, anybody like Chick-fil-A right here close by? Lord has been faithful to our region. 
But, like, you thought that place was good until you went to that place? You thought that cooking was good until you tried that other? You thought that coffee place had the best coffee until that other place opened? You see, people never choose the worst of when you have two options. You're always going to seek to choose the better option. And so when people are exposed and saved by the grace of God, what the world becomes is not something to stay away from. It becomes something that I was saved from. That was deeper than your amens. The world is not something I'm going to stay away from. The world is something I was saved from. So grace is going to precede an instruction. You see, Jesus didn't just show up on the scene with the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and say, you should have known better. You should, you should have never gotten in bed with that guy. What he does is he expels her condemners, shows her grace, and gives her instruction to go and sin no more. Because those who have been saved by grace are then equipped to live holy lives. Grace not only saves us, grace trains us. Grace shapes our character. Grace will change our behavior. Grace will change the words that we choose to use. Grace will change the places that we choose to go. Grace will change the friendships that we choose to invest in. Grace will change the way we respect people and treat people. Grace does not bind you. Grace frees you to be the man or woman that God created you and called you to be. And you see that changes the entire religious mindset that says we need to do in order to get to God. No, God did so that we could live freely and fully in him. You see, some of us maybe grew up, and maybe you feel this way. Maybe you grew up in a really legalistic background. And, and legalism kills because it doesn't, it doesn't demonstrate grace. Legalism is where the don'ts overwhelm the do's, where the cannots overwhelm the cans, where the, the limits overwhelm the opportunities. And here's the thing. I'm not a preacher that will say, we're free. Go do whatever you want because that's abusing grace. I, I believe in holiness. I believe that God has called us to live to a higher standard. I, I, I believe that, you know, the blood of Jesus can forgive any sin. But I also believe that when we are saved, we are saved from sin for God's purposes for our life. And that when he has set us free, he has set us free for freedom's sake, the Bible says. And so Christians, church, I, I want to encourage you with this, that, that in no way, shape, or form am I up here to say, you need to get your act together and you need to start living up to the gospel standard. Because the gospel standard is holiness and perfection. And that is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. So I'm not asking you to live up to perfection. I'm, living, I'm asking you to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when you have experienced the grace and the saving power of our God, he will then equip you through the power of his Holy Spirit to do his work and to live holy lives. And
so holiness is not the standard that I'm going to try to attain. Holiness becomes the result of a life lived in the presence of our God because the presence of God cannot cohabitate with sin. And so if I'm filled with the Spirit, there is no room in me for the desires of the flesh. It's no longer a battle between what I want to do and the other thing I want to do. No, it becomes a battle between the person God called me to be and the person the enemy is trying to keep me to be. And I'm telling you, when a mind is resolute that you will be the man or woman God called you to be, I believe that he will equip you with the power of his Holy Spirit and you will be able to fend off temptation and sin and live a holy life for God. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Those are facts. It's not the kind of sermon that recruits good church members. It's not the kind of sermon that fills church pews. It's not even the kind of sermon that gets extra tithers this morning. But it's the kind of sermon that the church of Jesus Christ needs to hear. Because in a world filled with compromises, we must stand convicted that Jesus has called us out of sin into his wonderful light. He has called us out of death into new life in Christ. He has called us from the former things to behold the new things that he wants to do today. And I'm telling you, grace will not only save you, grace will equip you, and grace will sustain you. And the same God who saved us on the cross is the same God that will keep us safe in his hands until the day he returns to take his church. I believe that God is that good that he not just saves me, he sustains me. Can you say amen? Amen. He not only saves us, he sustains us. He equips us. He gives us everything we need to live godly lives. That's what the Bible says. He gives us everything we need. So it no longer becomes about what we can offer or bring to the table because what we offer is always sin and brokenness. That's all we have to give. If I'm bringing everything I have to the table, that's the best I got is brokenness. So it no longer becomes about performance. It no longer becomes about what I can do to make God pleased with me. It becomes about my acceptance of the free gift of salvation. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, the Bible promises us that we will be saved. And so saved is not a label. Saved is a condition of our hearts. Have you ever written a research paper and your computer crashes? Oh my goodness, that is the most high stress, high anxiety moment where you didn't save it. Oh my goodness, what is saved is preserved. What is saved is preserved. No matter if the computer crashes or, or, th- or you unplug it or your kid spills coffee on the keyboard or, or whatever happens, you know if something is saved, that thing is preserved in Jesus' name. 
And this morning, I want to give you confidence in the salvation that God has given to you. God is not a giver and then a taker. He is a giver and then a giver again. He is a God of second and third and fourth chances. And he loves us up to a thousand generations. And I'm telling you, the God of, the lo- God of love is not a God has fickle love, changing love, uh, a conditional love. No, it's an agape love. It's a love that is unconditional, meaning it doesn't depend on your performance. The love of God is rooted in the character of God because God is love. So it's impossible for God not to love those that he created. God loves you in spite of you. You're not perfect. And God's not surprised when you mess up. If he were surprised, he wouldn't send Jesus because you're too risky. You're too much of a risk. You know that thing, risks and liabilities and all that, blah, 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 blah. I don't know, but all I know is if someone's too risky, the premium goes up. Right? You're a terrible driver? You better bet Progressive's going to charge you more. Higher the risk, higher the cost. We are the highest risk, so he paid the highest cost. I am retiring after that one. Come on. I'm done preaching. Just replay that every Sunday, that one line. I feel bad for those that missed out on this sermon this morning. You're a high risk. So he paid a high cost. Come on, I dread when my insurance bill comes back in. I'm like, ooh, I don't know. But because that means I have to pay more. You don't have to pay nothing. You don't have to pay anything. He paid it all for you. I'm, I'm not rich. I don't know if that comes as a shock. I'm not rich. Anybody rich? I want to be your friend. Um, I'm not rich, but there's this thing called credit cards where you can act rich. You can, you can act rich. That's another sermon for another day about financial peace and financial freedom. <laughs> there's some Dave Ramsey fans in the house. Graduates are passionate. <laughs> they carry their certificates in their Bibles. But um, credit cards can really be fooling because you can act rich. But it's easy to swipe. But every swipe requires a payment. Have you ever seen your credit card bill and it says, if you make the minimum payment, it will take you 45 years (laughs) to pay $100. And you will end up paying $10,000. That's the most discouraging letter. Thank you, Tyler, for setting the mood for that statement. That was, that was just... Hey, you can act rich. That's scary. But if you keep acting rich and you're really not, the resources aren't there to keep up with your lifestyle. So what ends up happening is those things are repossessed. If you can't pay, they take it back. Repos are crazy. They will find you. You can run, but you can't hide, especially with the government. Oh, my goodness, those tax bills, crazy. But those that got refunds, y'all are praising right now, right? I always love when tax season goes by. It's like, what a relief. And my mom works for the IRS, so it's like a tension. But there, So there's this... Um, 
I don't look forward to that time of the year because I'm always like, ooh, those numbers. Um, but, all right. So when, you, when you're acting rich, but you can't keep up, those things are taken back because the resources are not there to keep up with a lifestyle that you're trying to present. But let's say I do have money, loads of money, endless amounts of money. I can literally go and buy whatever I want, debt-free, and I can pay it because I have the resource I need to accompany the lifestyle that I want to live. You see, the same thing happens with this whole thing called grace. Because if you're trying to live out a Christian walk without the resource of grace, it's hypocritical and it'll fall flat on its face. But when grace is the resource that we have received in Christ, it then equips us to live a holy life and a life that is sustainable in Jesus. And so it's not a farce or a phony cover that I'm trying to live up to. It becomes something that I can fully live out without regret because I have the resource I need. And so maybe you've been trying to kind of condemn yourself because you can't live up to the gospel. God's not expecting you to live up to the gospel. He wants to give you grace so that you can live out the gospel. Because credit card users who are trying to act rich are trying to live up to being rich. But rich people can just be rich. Isn't that crazy? They don't have to act rich. They don't have to try to talk rich. If you're rich, you're rich. And it doesn't matter if people know it or not because you know how someone is rich? All those debts are paid. And man, that is the same thing for those of us that are in Christ. We are rich. Every day of the week we're rich. And this is not a prosperity message. Give a dime today. God's going to give you a dollar tomorrow. No, it's way bigger and more deep than that. I believe that God gives you grace today and you receive everything that you need to live out a life that fully pleases God. Holiness will be the result of a life founded in grace.